Welcome to the Book Collector on this fine November morning. Kate Rooksby will now read the obituary of Albinia de la Mer, who was affectionately and commonly known as Tilly. She was born on the 2nd of June 1932 and died on the 19th of December 2001. The obituary was written by Nicholas Barker and was first published in the Indent newspaper. Albinia de la Mar. 15th century Florence has always had an irresistible fascination to all those who have even vicariously lived in the city. No one knew its inhabitants, its streets and byways, and in particular the scribes and the booksellers, the patrons and libraries for whom they worked, better than Albinia de la Mer. She was fortunate in her guide, Vespasiano di Bisticci, that talkative, self-important, but irresistible bookseller whose memoirs reveal so much about the people for and with whom he worked, Cosimo de' Medici and Federigo de Montefeltro downwards. Delamere met him by 1954, if not earlier, and they remained fast friends, although her acquaintance widened out to embrace all the scribes in Italy who wrote the humanistic handwriting popularised by Petrarch and Boccaccio. She was born in 1932, granddaughter of the poet Walter de la Mer and daughter of Richard de la Mer, director of Faber and Faber. The family home was then in Gower Street, a stone's throw from Russell Square, where the Faber offices were, but in 1937 they moved to Much Haddam, where Tilly was brought up in a charming 18th-century brick house among her father's famous collection of Oriental porcelain. Music was always in the air and remained so in her life, although she was not, like her younger brothers, a performer. She went to a good local school where her scholarly potential was realised. She left it for a final three years at Queen's College, Harley Street, boarding in London before going on to Lady Margaret Hall, Oxford, to read history. It was clear what her vocation was going to be. What was not immediately clear was what form it would take. But October 1954 found her registered as a postgraduate student at the Warburg Institute in London, embarking on an MA thesis on Vespasiano de Bastici, the Florentine bookseller, based on his Vita Duomi Illustri and aiming to trace as many as possible of the manuscripts that he published. Before long, Ernst Gomberg had realised the quality of her work and the MA was promoted to a PhD thesis, which he undertook to supervise. It took a long time to materialise. Formally presented in 1965-66, it really lasted the rest of her life. The thesis as such remains unpublished, full though it is of important stuff, but now sadly outdated, not least by La Mer's own work. Well before the thesis went in, she had caught the eye of old friends at Oxford, Roger Miners, Neil Carr, and above all Richard Hunt, keeper of the Western Manuscripts at the Bodleian Library. All three knew each other well and shared an interest in medieval manuscripts, the preservation of the classics and the growth and diffusion of humanistic learning. 
The Bodleian contained many manuscripts of the sort that de la Mer had to study, if only one book from the collection of Humphrey, Duke of Gloucester, who gave Oxford its first library, now sadly dispersed. The collection of James Lyell, 165 medieval manuscripts in all, was a recent arrival still uncatalogued. De la Mer was persuaded to undertake it, first as a volunteer, then from 1964 as an assistant librarian. She also found a congenial colleague in Jonathan Alexander, with whom she catalogued the Italian manuscripts in the library of Major J. R. Abbey, published by Faber and Faber in their usual elegant style in 1968. It considerably enlarged the number of identifiable humanistic scribes for which Ullman's modest manual of 1960 had hitherto been the only guide. The Bodleian was then an admirable base from which to pursue her further work. Hunt shared her interests and enthusiasm to the full. To her, as to many others, he was a rich source of promising lines of inquiry, ideas which blossomed into other ideas. He was able to protect her from the slings and arrows of bureaucracy, leaving her free to do what she did best. The first earnest of what was to come was the little Bodleian exhibition catalogue, Duke Humphrey and English Humanism. A present to Roger Miners on his retirement from the Chair of Latin and Chairmanship of Curators of the Bodleian in 1970. This revealed not only her knowledge, but the sureness of her eye, the ability to see and recognise handwritings and to realise the connection between them and what they meant. The Lyle catalogue followed next year, and in 1973 what remains her magnum opus, the handwriting of Italian humanists, a handsome folio of reproductions with long commentary describing the lives and writing of Petrarch, Boccaccio, Coluccio Saluti, Poggio, Nicoli and three others. It was subtitled Volume 1, Fascicle 1. But alas, no more were finished. The preface reads... The preparation of this book has been more hurried than I would have liked, a euphemism for the pressure put on her by the publisher, the Association Internationale de Bibliophilie, not least Anthony Hobson, to get it out at all. It remains a splendid vestige of what would have been a great monument to its author and also to the once great Oxford University Press which printed it. In 1975, Hunt retired, his seminal career at Bodley commemorated with an exhibition, The Survival of Ancient Literature, in which de la Mer had an important part, and she had an even larger one in the memorial exhibition, Manuscripts at Oxford, in 1980. Her grasp of the impact of humanism in England was also evinced in her joint paper with Lottie Halinga, showing exactly why the first book printed at Oxford had been dated 1468 instead of 1478, thus confusing early historians of the press no end. By now, too, her reputation, already great in Italy, had become European, and she was invited to the United States, often staying with her friend Ellen Erdrich in Washington. 
a host of elegant papers and journals and elsewhere enabled an increasing band of admirers to follow her path as she increased her grasp of the movements of scribes and booksellers in and beyond Italy, some of them even reaching England, and of their customers, English, such as Bishop William Gray and Andrew Holes, as well as Italian and other potentates. This work culminated in New Research on Humanist Scribes in Florence, a substantial book in its own right, but only part of Miniatura Fiorentina del Rinascimento, 1985, which she shared with Anna Rosa Garzelli. The Bodleian in the 1980s was not the second home it had been earlier, so when Julian Brown, professor of paleography at King's College London, decreed on his deathbed that Tilly de la Mer and no one else should succeed him, she was quite glad of the summons, although she never left Oxford, whither her father moved in 1980. She moved to look after him at Cumnor. But she took to a new career as a teacher with delight, retiring only in 1997. She organized and gave lectures with conscientious thoroughness. There was quite literally no stopping her. An hour-long seminar at the Warburg might begin at 11.30. At one, the director would look in to say that it was lunchtime, and again at 1.30 to remind her that the canteen would close in ten minutes. But none of her pupils felt that it was too long. Fact after fascinating fact would emerge, and yet another, well worth waiting for, was just around the corner. Her audience always left reluctantly, unwilling to wait till next week for another thrilling installment. As idea followed idea, too quick to be pinned down, so chaos was apt to set in, if she never quite achieved the legendary disorder of Canon Claude Jenkins, her work was a sea of paper that she alone could navigate. Her lectures might begin with a carousel of slides emptying itself on the floor to be hastily put together in an entirely different order, which would nevertheless proved to be full of new and unsuspected insights. It was rather like the Queen of Hearts garden party. Publishers and administrators might find it hard to keep up, but Tilly would be away, flamingo in hand, knocking a new hedgehog through a soldier that had only just become a hoop. Life with her was always exhilarating, and she got as much out of it as any of her admirers. She must have read a detective story a day all her life. Brother Cadfail, whose adventures she adored, owes some of his existence to her. She knew P.G. Woodhouse backwards. Carry-on Jeeves was on the table beside her when I went to see her in hospital the day before she died, and she said in evident bewilderment, It's taken me three days to read one story. The music constantly in the background was mainly 17th and 18th century, but increasingly earlier as more and more Renaissance and medieval music became available. She travelled widely, making light of the occasional crosses that came with it. She had a strong sense of public duty, serving in the Civil Defence Corps, to be the better prepared to help in the event of any disaster. She was a loyal member of the Comité International de Paléographie, a fellow of the British Academy, and in 1993 was appointed OBE. 
No one could call Tilly de la Mer beautiful, but there was something irresistibly attractive about her long face, the mouth that would keep turning up into a smile. Her funny voice, apt to go up unexpectedly at moments of surprise or excitement, was like no one else's. No one who met her, professionally or casually, but came under her spell. She went on working to the end, and if the great comprehensive work on humanistic scribes that she could have written will now elude us, there is hope that her work on Bartolomeo de Savito, the greatest of them all, will be out before long. That was Kate Rooksby reading the obituary of Tilly de la Mer. Tune in next week for another Book Collector podcast. And in the meantime, visit thebookcollector.co.uk to read online articles, view booksellers' catalogues, and subscribe to our journal. It's less than the price of a Netflix subscription and far more valuable. Receive four beautiful quarterly issues, plus get access to our entire digital archive. 70 years of erudite articles, illustrations, reviews, news, obituaries, auction reports, and more. Everything you could want to know about book collecting. Whether you're researching, learning, or just browsing for fun, it's the place to go. Visit thebookcollector.co.uk today.